This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. This is your weekly coast to coast with Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. I'm your host, John Siegley. We are sponsored, as always, by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Guys, unfortunately, we are doing this week's Coast to Coast podcast following another heartbreaking loss. The Tar Heels just found some way to lose a game against Virginia in the Dean Dome. It was another situation where the team played well enough to win and just in the final seconds just the the fates (laughs) turned against unc virginia hit a three to win by two that was the final margin let's just get quick thoughts on this game i mean to me it's, it's emblematic of just what has been a season where if it can go wrong for the heels it has gone wrong as you were sitting there watching the conclusion to last night's game sean what were the thoughts going through your head well, I think never fully had confidence that they would be able to get a stop. Um, I think, you know, the frustrating part is getting swept by Virginia, a team record-wise is much better. But I think from a overall standpoint, the teams are pretty much the same. Uh, but you you have one team that will probably make the tournament as a as a pretty high, you know, low seed, and then North Carolina, who's not even going to make the NIT most likely. So frustrating to watch. You know, there's a lot of opportunities. You know, they did play a lot more competitively than they did against Wake Forest, which was nice to see. But just once again, another heartbreaking loss. And it comes where the other team has to make a shot or or make something happen. And they seem to do that time and time again. Let's get your quick take on this game, Sherelle. It's funny because it seems like their best performances come in losses. And a part of that is just when you're not a great team and you don't have confidence, you're not able to close. I mean, if you think about it, uh, Florida State was uh, a game they played pretty decently, even though they went God, they went forever without scoring. They still had a chance to win. They played really well at NC State, which was a win. They played, I thought, excellent against Duke, but still lost that game. And then relative to competition and considering the opponent, I thought they played really well on Saturday against Virginia, um, but they still weren't able to to close. And that's again, that's just a sign of a team that's not very good and, and doesn't have confidence that they can close it out. So um, it's unfortunate, but it's like you said, it's just kind of how this season has gone for them. So in terms of, you know, kind of the issues that have led to this season's struggles, I think to me, the number one is just lack of outside shooting. I mean, Carolina has just been dismal from beyond the arc. That is probably the one A to me. One B has been lack of any sort of fast break, which is just incredible to think from a Roy Williams coach team. A lot of Tar Heel fans are looking towards the future basketball recruiting classes and saying, well, hey, how can some of these kids coming in get that issue fixed? We talked about this a little bit off the air, guys, but 
Want to get your thoughts on kind of that aspect of if a team has a deficiency that is very obvious, how does a coaching staff go about filling that and getting that fixed in future classes? Or does it really come down more so to player development? Sean, let's get your thoughts on that first, and then I'll kick it over to Sherelle. That's a good question, John. I think next year, I mean, because you're going to basically have two two freshmen most likely starting at the guard spots, and it's definitely going to take them some time to get acclimated. So I think this three-point turnaround that everybody's hoping for is not going to come as quickly or as easily as, as everybody would hope. Um, I think both um, Love and Davis can, can knock down the three, and I'm sure they'll hit some, but we'll Two, you know, still be playing with with two traditional bigs, so uh, you know they're not going to start start hitting threes. I know Kessler has the ability, but you know I don't think his his percentage is extremely high right now. And then at the small forward spot, you, you're going to have Leaky, where he's not going to be a three point threat, and Puff Johnson will get some time off the bench, and that's going to be a strong suit. But he's you know not going to come in and be his brother right away. So. I think right now it's still looking dicey. You know, I think it'll definitely improve from from this year, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think UNC's outside shooting is going to be one of its major strengths next year. And you know, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be a strength. I think they just have to be not one of the worst shooting teams of all time, like they are this year. I think that's the goal next year is to not be one of the worst that they've had in in you know recent memory. And for me. I think when it comes to shooting, that always comes from guys who are already in the program as far as improving one year to the next, because there's a pretty documented history of freshmen, um, not just at UNC, but, you know, across the country, just not shooting that well their first season. Of course, there are, um, you know, there are uh, outliers and people who don't fit that description. But for the most part, you know, you're not going to have a guy come in as a freshman and shoot 40 percent from three unless he's, you know. 40 or 50 or 10, something like that. So I would look to one, Leaky Black, and I know he's really never been a great three-point shooter, but there have been worse players at Carolina, um, I think, that have become competent shooters. And really, that's all they need him to be. They just need him around 35 36%, which I, he probably is not that far from it this year, but that's where they need him, 35 36%, just enough to keep the defense honest with the way North Carolina likes to play. And then, you know, it, it, it's a stretch, but, you know, Garrison Brooks, his, his long twos don't look terrible. The form looks nice. It takes him a little while to kind of get into get into the jump shot, but – you know, it, with the summer of hard work, there's no reason to think he can't move back two feet and, and hit, you know, not talking about a ton of threes, but just, again, be a, a threat back there. So um, from the current team, I look to those two players. And, of course, Andrew Playtech um, needs to improve and, and needs to live up to his reputation coming into Carolina as a shooter and his reputation in practice as a shooter and carry that over to game. So as far as increasing or getting better at three-point shooting, that's the three I look to that will have uh, the biggest impact on Carolina. I think the freshmen will have negligible percentages. So I think they'll be, you know, in the mid to low 30s, because uh, that's pretty much where every freshman uh, from Carolina is at. And then you have to hope that Leakey and, to some degree, Garrison and Playtech can shoot better or become a threat um, from distance. I think, you know, Cheryl brought up Brooks. I think that's been one of the, the lone bright spots this season offensively is being, you know, for the most part, obviously he's had a few, uh, you know, lulls, but, you know, really his offensive performance. And against UVA, when he was taking those, you know, 15, 18 footers, you feel fairly confident um, and that he's 
you know, trying almost on in terms of Bryce Johnson in that sense where he can knock down that, that deep two. Uh, and I think that'll help open the floor up and, and help the big to big passing. But, you know, for your initial question about the fast break, I do think having two ball handlers in there can, can help improve that uh, with both Love and, and Davis and having the ability to push the ball up the court more so than UNC has been doing this year. They did a great job against Duke. Um, you know, I don't think really any Carolina team has had much success against UVA in terms of getting the, the break going, but whether it's UVA or, or a team like Wake Forest, they still haven't seen anything this year. So hopefully Davis and Love both being able to handle the ball and, and, and push the ball in transition will, will help that. Yeah, let's get to the transition talk in just a second. I wanted, though, to kind of close it out on the three-point shooting to get your your guys' thoughts on just the aspect of recruiting, like maybe that kid that has a reputation for, for being a dead-eye shooter. Like he is just known in, in high school as someone who can knock down the open threes. Sherelle, I mean, you mentioned that historically – those type of guys really do not have a whole lot of, of success in general in their first years. You mentioned that Andrew Playtech had that reputation coming in, and so far he has struggled. So it sounds like that's really not something that is that quick fix where you find a kid who can hit that, who can knock down, you know, uncon- who can knock down threes consistently in high school and just say, hey, there's our solution. It takes a little bit more than that. Right. And you have to be careful. Uh, we talked about this a little off air, but you have to be careful in recruiting people designated specialists um, like, oh, Carolina needs somebody who can block shots or, or oh, I need somebody who can um, just be a defensive stopper. Like that sounds great in a vacuum. But when you talk about basketball as a whole, if they can't contribute anything else, then you're kind of tied down to that player. And if that player isn't exceeding at the one skill that you recruited him for, then they're not really contributing anything and taking up a spot on the roster. So you have to be careful when it comes to, you know, specialists, uh, especially shooting. Um, I mean, there have been so many great Carolina players. We did this, um, went through on a weekly scoop a couple of weeks ago. Um, so many great Carolina players who their first seasons, their their shooting percentage was, was atrocious. And these are guys who were known as shooters in high school. I mean, Reggie Bullock and, and PJ Harrison, for example, didn't get out of the 30s or didn't get out of the 20s. Um, as far as first year three point shooting percentage, uh, Justin Jackson was in the low 30s. I mean, it goes on and the list goes on and on and on. So, um, you know, I don't think the answer based upon, you know, more than 20 years of evidence is going to come from the freshman class when it comes to shooting. That's why I go back to, you know, Playtech and, and Brooks to some degree and Leakey as the guys who are going to have to kind of not carry the load, but who have to help make Carolina competent um, from three. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about Kerwin Walton, who's a player in 2020 um, that North Carolina is still talking to. And Zaire Williams is still out there as well as a player in 2020 that North Carolina is still talking to. And uh, Walton, more so than Williams, that's, I would say. Sean, let me know if you agree, has the reputation as a shooter. Um, Zaire is a, a good shooter, but Walton, like that's kind of his skill. People see him as a specialist. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, I think for Walton, and you know, probably the reason he hasn't gotten an offer is, you know, how how is his lack of quickness, how does that translate? And we could probably be sitting here in two years and, and saying, man, I wish wish we had gone after him harder. He's turned into a heck of a player. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if, if he's not able to, you know, play play defense and, and utilize uh, more than his shooting, then he could become a liability. But, yeah, I think the overall 
shooting is important and what a lot of people want to see from the recruiting classes and people they're recruiting is is just guys that are competent shooters and that aren't uh, deficits in terms of not even being able to be, be guarded. And I think Leakey right now, um, you know, especially against a team like UVA that's playing the pack line defense, he's re- really a, you know, you're kind of playing four on five offensively. And that's where he needs to kind of impact the game assist-wise and rebounding-wise. I know he had a few steals and a few blocks, but it'll be interesting to see his improvement. And then the other improvement needs to come from the free throw line because right now they're just giving up so many points from that spot. I mean, you have UVA, who is a horrible shooting team as well. Granted, they shot 40% from three probably for the first time all year against us, but they were hitting their free throws. And UNC is losing, losing points there. And right now they're ranked uh, 313th in the country. So they're able to improve that as well. That can go a long way in terms of, A, closing out games, and, and B, just getting leads that, um, you know, well, they'll have a harder time relinqu- uh, relinquishing. Free throws are something that I feel players have in their own capacity, the ability to improve. I mean, we've seen that before where guys have come in and they've shot maybe 60% from free throw. Then they get up to high 60s, then 70s. And then by the end, they're, they're closer up to 80. I mean, to me, that's just so much of a mental thing. And um, I really do think that next season, Carolina can shoot free throws better. It's the three-point shooting that I would be much more worried about. But I think you guys have hit on it where, you know, that's going to come more so from individual players improving than having some star freshmen come in. And, you know, I mean, it's like you guys said, they just need competence. They don't need someone to come in and be, you know, the next away in Ellington. It's just competence. Um, But I think we can probably go ahead and wrap up the shooting stuff. If you guys have any last thoughts, though, go ahead and get them in now, and then we will take a commercial break after that. The next Lane Ellington would be nice. Yeah, and I was just going to say, you were talking about free throws. People forget uh, Luke May. I think it was his junior season, um, struggled from the free throw line. I'm, I'm looking at it now. And he was, his first three seasons, he went 40, he was 42% as a freshman, didn't have many attempts. He was 57% as a sophomore, didn't have a ton of attempts. 62 as a junior, had a lot of attempts. And then 77% as a senior. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of progression that you hope some of the players who are struggling with now and who are going to be at UNC for a couple of years, you kind of hope they they see that. That's a 35% increase over his four seasons at Carolina. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that should be the goal is maybe not that drastic, you know, 35% within a season. But like you said, I mean, that was a gradual increase. And I think that's very reasonable to expect from some of these guys. Good deal. So with that, we will go ahead and take a quick commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. If you need anything for the rest of the winter or if you need anything for the spring, you can head over to Giant T-Shirt's location on Franklin Street where they have been in business for decades. They have everything that you could possibly want for the Tartill fan in your family, and they have the absolute best customer service as well. One thing I'm definitely looking for are the new baseball jerseys every single season. Those baseball jerseys just look amazing. Giant T-Shirt has you covered if you're looking to pick one of those up. If you can't make it to Franklin Street, you can always shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com where you get the same great customer service and the same great selection. And remember that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders there at Giant T-Shirt's location on Franklin Street or on GiantT-Shirt.com. 
you can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that's Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. So guys, let's go ahead and talk about kind of the second part of my initial question there, which if Carolina is going to fix what I think is the second biggest deficit that, that they've had this season, the fast break. Now, that's something that is probably much more intricate than just shooting. Shooting is more, I feel, dependent on one's natural abilities. However, you know, running the fast break and understanding, especially the secondary break, that's just something that has to come through repetition and practice. So with Carolina looking to have potentially two freshmen starting at the guard positions, like you mentioned, Sean, I mean, how realistic do you think it is that Carolina will be able to get their tempo back up? Because, I mean, it is historically low this season, right? Yeah, right now they're running 56, which I believe um, is the lowest in the Roy Williams tenure. And, you know, that's kind of come up from where it was earlier in the in the 80s. Um, I'm looking right now, they're actually number 60 in 2016. But, you know, for the most part, you can depend on them to be a top 20 or at least a top 10 team in tempo um and it, once again it goes back to i think having two ball handlers and for cole anthony you know he, he he's really good in transition but doesn't I, I would say doesn't do a great job in terms of just continuing to to push the tempo um you know going back to kobe white you'd always see roy williams you know continually exerting them to go faster and faster and he was always pushing the ball up the court pretty fast um and i i feel cole it definitely has slowed down a lot but you know rj loves to push the ball loves to get the ball up caleb love i would say maybe not not as much but between the two of them once again it gives you two outlets and two ability you know two ball handling abilities and then you throw in leaky who can handle the ball um as well so i think that'll at least increase the tempo from a floor running perspective you have Dayron Sharp coming in and he I mean he this guy plays hard all the time and he loves to run the floor and get easy baskets that way so I think having the bigs that also focus a little more on rim running uh, will help as well now how much you know how each big gets their playing time will will be an interesting topic but I think at least having um, a guy like Sharp who really loves to run the floor and get easy baskets can also help because there's there's only so many times this year where one of the guards has, you know, we've gotten the ball out of the basket and pushed the down, or you push the ball down the floor or push it through passing for an easy layup. Um, so that's something we haven't seen and hopefully we'll be able to see at least a little bit more next year. What's your take on that, Cheryl? How do you think the incoming players will help get that tempo back up to where UNC fans are probably accustomed to seeing Carolina play? I think Sean nailed it. Um, you know, Love and, and Davis definitely have that potential. Um, and then I, I think one thing that's been underrated that's been missing this season is finishing. Um, I think two years ago with the Theo Pinson, Joel Berry team, that was a, a criticism a little bit of that team was that, um, you know, they weren't just, they, they didn't finish well once they got towards the rim. You know, Garrison Brooks was a freshman and, you know, Cam Johnson wasn't was still injured, so he wasn't quite, um, 100% healthy. Luke May was still developing. He was kind of the face of the team that year. And then Barry, you know, was was a little strong, but he was short. And so that caused him issues. And, and then Pinson, he did it well, but, you know, he was more of a facilitator on that team. And then you flip the script and you enter the next season and you have uh, Kobe White, who is as good as a finisher at the point guard spot since Ty Lawson. 
And then you have Nasir Little, who's a very good finisher. Cam Johnson coming off of surgery, um, who became a really good finisher. Um, and, you know, it was it was it helped the up the up tempo. It helped the break uh, tremendously to have guys who could finish. And the hope is, I think, coming into next year that Dayron Sharp and really Caleb Love, I think, are the two. I would look towards who can help finish things on the break. Um, Cause this year, you know, I, I, I guess just because he's still um, maybe still feeling the ill effects of some of the injury stuff, or I, I'm not sure what it is, but Cole Anthony just hasn't looked as explosive as he did, you know, as, as a high school senior and during the, uh, the award circuit and, uh, you know, all the all-star games and all those things. Uh, so um, I think you have to look towards love and sharp to help improve that. And then like Sean said, having, essentially three capable ball handlers on the court. If you go at a lineup with Leakey and RJ Davis and Caleb Love will definitely help it. And then Daron Sharp running rim to rim, you know, he's as in shape as, as any big right now. Um, and the fact that Brooks and Baycott won't have to play these extended minutes like they do this year, I think will help them too, where if you know you're kind of on a pitch count, you know, 25 minutes a game or something like that, it's a little bit easier, I think, to to run harder. Um, on the fast break. So to me, those are the ways that it improves next season. All right. Good stuff, guys. I'm going to open it up to you two. Apart from outside shooting and increasing pace of play, what is one area that you guys think Carolina must improve and that can actually be addressed during the off season, either through player development or through the incoming freshmen? Sherelle, let's go ahead and get your thoughts since uh, I've been going to Sean first for the entire podcast so far. Well, mine's a little bit different. Um, so I'm curious what Roy Williams does next season. Now, you know, caveat aside, he's, he'll be 70 years old by the time next season starts. So getting up there in age. Um, but, you know, he's never had a season like this. I mean, his first season at Kansas, they went six and eight in what was then the big eight. And then in 20, uh, 2010, they went five and 11 in the ACC and made the NIT. But this is going to be his worst season as a head coach. And typically that doesn't happen when you're towards the end of your career. It happens towards the beginning of your career. So I, I'm curious if he will um, have wholesale changes in what he does. You know, will he adapt? Will he say, you know what, you know, this this maybe didn't work this season and I'm going to try something else and put a few new wrinkles in? Or will he double down and say, this has worked for me for 30 plus years. We're going to do this even harder and and more passionately than we have in the past. So to me, that's a, a great unknown. You know, they say when you get older that you don't change, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and all that stuff. But, you know, maybe he'll be open to it and maybe he'll try something different um, just because he's never experienced losing, you know, to this scale. Um, and then again, you know, this dramatically either, you know, with the Duke game with two buzzer beaters, you know, uh, the Clemson loss at home on a on a three pointer that tied the game and sent it into overtime um, yesterday against Virginia, the Virginia Tech game in double overtime. Just so many of these close games. And, you know, I just wonder how he's going to react because that is an unknown because we, we, we don't know because they've never had a season quite like this. All right, Sean, what about you, man? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, in terms of how he'll react, he'll be interesting. I'm looking at it more from a, a lineup standpoint. And, you know, normally you have three starters coming back in uh, the two bigs, ideally, as well as Leaky, and you kind of pencil those guys in. But at the same time, you have three starters coming back on the worst team, the worst Carolina team in Roy Williams' tenure. So 
how does that play into it? Um, I don't think he'll be beholden to the lineups of this year just based on those guys returning. Um, so I think he will be, you know, open to, to switching things up, which will be good. Um, you know, I would say from this thing I want to see next year is just more attention to detail from the team. And I think hopefully that will come with experience. I mean, right now, they are, I think, once again, the worst Carolina team in terms of turnover percentage that Roy Williams has had, where uh, I think they're 315th in the country on the side against PGA, where I think the stat was in the first 19 possessions they had nine turnovers, which is not something you can do in a very limited possession game. Even going to the Duke game, they're up 10, but there is still, you know, all these possessions where you just said, oh, man, if they could have just either rotated quicker or made that pass or just done something very that's very easily fixable, they could have had a bigger lead. And I think it's that attention to detail that will help them, um, you know, kind of improve on obviously this year, but improve on getting back to ideally a Sweet 16 potential Elite Eight type type team. Um, and that's been really one of the disappointing parts of this year, whether it's defensively or offensively, but it's just, always these little issues that that crop up and allow teams to you know get open looks at the end of games or you know not not taking good shots on our side at the end of games so for me that's that's what I'll be looking for is the attention to detail and you know kind of a more focused effort from the team and hopefully playing a lot smarter great stuff guys let's go ahead and take our last commercial break and when we get back let's wrap it up with some recruiting talk so stay tuned we'll be right back after this Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. Sean Siegley here with Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. Before we went to break, Sherelle, you actually mentioned something offline here, a little bit about an interesting stat about Roy Williams. What was that in, in his, you know, historically how he has bounced back when his teams have struggled on seasons? Well, there's only two times where the team finished under 500. Um, but the first time at Kansas, the next year, they won 30 games and went to the NCAA second round. And then the year after they did it in North Carolina, they won 29 games and went to the Elite, went to the elite Eight. Um, you'll recognize that 2010 was the Harrison Barnes, Kendall Marshall, uh, Reggie Bullock team where Larry Drew left like halfway through the season after the game against Boston College. Kendall Marshall took over. Um, they uh, tied or they won the regular season in the ACC and lost in the Elite Eight to Kentucky. So um doesn't really mean much for next season. But, you know, the two times that he has been under 500, you know, his teams have bounced back. So just something to consider. I think one thing to add real quick, if, you know, for college football fans, a lot of football fans read the Phil Steele preview magazine and he looks a lot of different factors in terms of trying to find those teams that really, you know, flip from, you know, maybe under 500 to over 500 or the surprise teams. And one of the things he focuses on is the close loss factor, where if you are losing 
you know, a lot of close games. Some of that is due to luck. Other part of that is due to performance. But usually you see a big flip in terms of close losses then turning into wins the next year. And I think if you were doing a basketball preview, uh, Carolina would be at the top of that in terms of the, the close loss factor and, and being able to hopefully turn that around next year. Turning the focus now to recruiting, there were a couple of recruits in the Dean Dome for the game against the Who's 2020 signee Puff Johnson and then a recruit from 2021, Eric Vander Heiden, who has been in Chapel Hill quite frequently lately. Let's wrap up the podcast with just a little bit of talk about that 2021 class. For those who may be listening and are not subscribed to the Basketball Premium Message Board, Sherelle McMillan did an amazing job of breaking down some other targets in that class on the weekly scoop. Highly encourage everyone to go and read that. But just for the podcast here, guys, let's go over a couple names that Tar Heel fans may not be that familiar with in 2021. Because looking at the scholarship breakdown, I mean, Carolina will have four, I think, definitely open scholarships with I think in the article it mentioned something like Caroline could have as many as six. So, you know, that's a class that it's two years away, but yet it's the one that's being heavily recruited right now. As we stand, Sherelle, what are some of the names that you think are maybe flying underneath the radar for the casual Carolina basketball fan as we sit here, you know, still not done with the 2019-2020 season? Well, I think Trey Alexander is, he's one of the ones we mentioned in the weekly scoop and thanks for the compliment, but I, I wouldn't say amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, the weekly scoop this week, uh, Trey Alexander is a guard from Oklahoma. Um, he's, his height is tricky. He's listed anywhere between six, three and six, five. And for those who follow recruiting, you know, it just kind of goes based upon what source you read. Like his high school said six, five, um, one database said six, four, another database said six, three. So he's a six, three to six, five <laughs> kind of combo guard. Um, we talked to him on Friday and w- we might do something, uh, you know, more once North Carolina really gets more interested in him and watches him. Um, but he's someone I, I, I think who fits kind of what they like to do. He's a, a combo guard, Evan Daniels, uh, 24 sports is national recruiting director and Brian snow, who's a national recruiting analyst. They really like his game. Um, snow said he would be probably be best described as a bucket getter, someone who can just score from all positions. He considers himself more of a lead guard. Um, so um, I think immediately what people start to think when they hear, someone who can get buckets, who's about 6'3 to 6'5, who considers himself a point guard, they think Kobe White. Not saying he's that kind of player, um, but, you know, he's in that mold of, of someone who can just go score for you. And, you know, so they'll, I'm sure they'll get a watch in of him um, once the live period starts in April. Um, so he's a name that I would think about. And then in general, I would say there are always, you know, 10 or 15 prospects who no one has heard of this time um, the year before who end up becoming high major targets, who end up signing at Blue Blood schools. Um, North Carolina, for example, if I told anyone last year at this point uh, in 2019 that North Carolina was going to sign R.J. Davis, they'd be like, who? who who's that? <laughs> um, so I think that's something that you had to consider, too, is that guys always emerge and players emerge, whether it's because of injury, um, because they played on a different circuit. There's always someone new to, to find. So in addition to the, some of the people that we listed in the scoop, I think you have to consider that maybe it's just someone we don't know right now. 
All right, Sean, who are some names that have stuck out to you in 2021 that either are being looked at by the Carolina staff right now or do you think could emerge as being on their radar? Well, one of the other guys that Trill wrote about, um, and he's a guy that he's kind of talked about internally, but Hunter Sauer, I think, will be, you know, for me, getting out to the live recruiting period is one of the guys that I really want to focus on and, and see. And right now he's rated number 31, and I think that's, you know, at a pretty ideal area for UNC to look at. Right now, Kennedy Chandler is the only point guard uh, that has an offer, and he's kind of top 10, 15. Pretty much everybody's going to be going after him, so that one could be challenging. Um, so I think Hunter Salas is a guy that I'm really looking forward to watching. But I think it goes back to the shooting where you don't want a specialist, but you want somebody that is competent and can put the ball in the basket. Um, from all areas of the floor. So I think trying to find those guys as opposed to kind of maybe the 4-3 or the 3 that is a slasher that is not a threat from behind the arc um, is, you know, hopefully going to be a focus in the in the recruiting period. But I would say Hunter Salas is, for me, kind of one of the 2021 guys that I'm looking forward to watching. What do you think is the biggest need for them in the class, Sean? Like, I, I know my opinion, but what do you think? Everything. <laughs> um, I mean, I think from a big spot, they're going to, you know, should be, you know, have that pretty much in terms of uh, whoever's returning. Um, so I don't think that should be much of a focus. But I think, uh, you know, adding another guard, ideally a combo guard. Um, I don't think you need a true point guard. If, as long as we think RJ, you know, isn't going to have a crazy year and, and somehow go pro, but I think he should be returning. So I would say a guard and then just adding kind of another wing wing score. Um and then of this you know, to add on to that maybe maybe a kind of a, a stretch four just because the, the bigs that they're gonna have are once again kind of more traditional bigs and really you could put them as, as fives in most offenses. So um, you know, if there were if they were able to find a stretch four <laughs> excuse me, a stretch four I would say I would say that would definitely be, you know, something to look at. I expect that we will be talking about recruiting a whole, whole lot in the off season. I think for now, though, guys, we can kind of go ahead and wrap up the podcast. But before we go, wanted to give the floor to Sean because he is at a pretty cool basketball event up there in Chicago. So we'll wrap it up with that. Go ahead and uh, tell us why you're up there in the Windy City, Sean. Sure. Uh, one one part was just trying to get back to real life and see what a winter like is after living in, in L.A. for a few years. But in Chicago, it's All-Star Weekend, and with that, they host the Basketball Without Borders event. Um, I got to go the first time two years, two years ago in L.A., and it was a really high-level event where they bring about 40, 50 of the top kind of international high school players from around the country in, and they kind of do a three-, four-day event with them. Um, you know, there's a decent amount that are already playing in American high schools and that are ranked and a lot of people are familiar with, but you also get to bring in players from some of the NBA academies in Australia, China, uh, South America, and Europe as well. Um, and looking back two years ago, you had guys, nobody UNC was looking at at the time, but then it turned into Josh Green got an offer. Uh, but then you look at guys that are now either in the NBA or potential lottery picks in Kelly and Hayes or playing in college right now. So it's a good spot to get a, a look at some of the top international players. And I thought the, 
the level was a little bit down from where it was two years ago, but it was still a pretty pretty high level event. And you know, for me, probably the the top player I got to see yesterday was a, a six two guard from the Dominican Republic and G Montero, and he was a pretty pretty talented player. But um, you know, it was a good good event. I would have liked to see a few more a few more scrimmages, but it's really guys that you'll be hearing a lot of um, in, I'd say, two years rather than the next uh, next year or two. And so is this a yearly event, Sean, and, and is it televised on TV? I think it's in its sixth year, so every, every All-Star weekend um, it takes place wherever the All-Star game is, and as I said, it's kind of over a three-, four-day period, but uh, I think there's always a there is a live stream for some of the, the scrimmages, which um, you know is a good place to to watch some of these guys. And as I said, some of them are um, playing in high school now, but not any any players that UNC is actively recruiting. But we'll just kind of segue into being in LA. Went to a local high school game earlier this week that had two five-star sophomores in the class of 2022. I know. UNC is not really focused on California. Obviously, right now they have Zaire Williams with an offer, um, although that is not, you know, what it was last year does not seem to be as, as hopeful as it, as it is now. But um, two of the guys, Kajani Wright is a 6'8 power forward, and then the guard, Dylan Andrews, had one of the biggest jumps up in 24-7. And not that UNC is looking at any of them right now or, or will be looking at them, but Kajani Wright, I think, is definitely – a name to monitor. He's a top 10 guy. So I think with that, normally you would say, oh, you know, UNC probably maybe shouldn't go after him or wouldn't have a chance. But when looking at him, I think he's a top 10 guy that is not going to be that attractive from an NBA standpoint. So I feel UNC has done very well in the past of getting those five-star guys that kind of last a little bit longer in school. And I think he could be one of those players. He's you know, pretty athletic, um, very good agility, but very much of a, you know, a, a kind of a big man where he's not stepping out on the wing and attacking the basket, but he's going to crash the boards and is going to kill you from the inside. So I would put his name potentially on the radar. Um, he's on the USA basketball circuit as well. So that was just a guy that I was able to see, see this last week that, you know, could potentially get some Carolina interest down the road. Those are two names that I think Carolina fans can maybe just, you know, put in their back pocket there, store for later to see if there is any interest from Carolina. And then also just wanted to know very quickly that as far as you know, UNC commits and targets that are going to be playing in the big time showcase events, the Jordan Brain Classic, which is coming up on March 27th. Carolina fans can watch Dayron Sharp, RJ Davis and Caleb Love, their three commits for the 2020 class. All those guys are going to be there at that one. So make sure that everyone catches that. But I think with that, guys, we can go ahead and wrap up the podcast. Unless if you guys had anything else to say. Yeah, no, thanks, John. I think it'll be one last thing is it'll be interesting Monday at Notre Dame. Um, so once again, having to go on the road after kind of a heartbreaking defeat. And we all know what happened at Wake Forest um, with that game. So it'll be interesting to see if they are able to compete. Um, and you know, keep it a keep it a game, or if they they wither early. But it it feels very long ago, back on November sixth, playing Notre Dame in the first game of the season, and Cole Anthony was 
you know, on fire and kind of the talk of college basketball. So, unfortunately, that was a uh, long, long several months ago. All right, then. Well, until next week, guys, have a good rest of your weekends. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.